Matthew chapter 13. Um, we are talking about parables, which um, I guess a modern day term would be like illustrations, you know, comparing something that's common with something that's not easily seen or understood. He's trying to explain to his disciples very deep, un, you know, unfamiliar, you know, realities about God's kingdom. And he's using common things to illustrate it. One of the things he's been using, or he has used and will continue to use, is the idea of a farmer sowing seeds and whatnot. So he's beginning to preach in parables. His disciples are curious. Jesus, why are you using parables? And this is a review. We've already dealt with all this stuff, I know. But I'm just kind of trying to get us back into the swing of things. Jesus is trying to raise the bar. He wants to teach his disciples. Okay, the gospel is so good I mean, by the gospel, I mean like the basic salvation message. It's so good, it's so easy to understand, even children can receive it. And that's awesome. So there's no excuse for adults. There's no excuse for anyone to, re- to not receive the gospel because it's so simple, it's so straightforward. It's total trust and faith in God. Through Jesus Christ, you know, he's the mediator between God and man, trusting that he died on the cross for our benefit, he rose from the grave, right? Basic. You believe in that, you put trust in that fact, a child can do it, right? But now he, but he, he has disciples, and he wants to teach them. And we're adults. You know, we're older people. And we want to learn more about what God is doing. Because he also makes it very clear in his teachings that his disciples are interested in God's will. God's will. What are you doing, God? God, you're the chief. You're the boss. What is the mission? What is the vision? And so disciples need to get behind that. And because that he, he wants to train, he wants to educate us in spiritual matters, the kingdom of heaven. So he's going to raise the bar a little bit. Um, and we've already seen that, of course, in Matthew 13, 11, 13. Um, some people will not understand the parables, you know, and this is the result of spiritual deafness and blindness as a result of stubbornness. You know, Jesus made it very clear. People can't see or hear these certain things. And, and I know you think, well, well, that's not fair. Why would God allow someone or make someone to be deaf? Or how would God make someone to be blind? Well, Jesus said it's not God's fault that a person can't see or hear. It's because of stubborn pride. We dealt with that in 13, 13 to 15. But for those who listen, can, who listen, who pay attention, to submit to the teachings of Christ, they will be blessed by what we're learning here these, through these parables, through this, 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 these spiritual lessons. And we've seen that in 13, verses 16 and 17. So the first parable that we dealt with was called the sower. And it explains what will happen as the kingdom of heaven is being taught. It's like an introduction to parables by using a parable. When Jesus teaches, this is what will happen. And we've already dealt with that last week. There's, as a seed, as the word goes out, it will be received by some. But... Others will just reject it. Others will hear it for a while, but ultimately it'll, it won't grow. It won't last. And yet others, you know, again, you know, it, 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 the cares of the world is dragged. So there's four different results. And when we looked at that as, 
kind of how people generally can be, you know, as our personalities, our dispositions. But we also looked at it as individuals. And like sometimes I can be these ways. I can be like scenario one. I can be like scenario two, three. But hopefully I want to be open. I want to break my stony heart to be open to God's word whenever it's preached, whenever it's taught, whenever I'm reading, whenever I encounter God's word. I want my heart not to be stony. I want my heart to receive the word. And so even as disciples, we need to look at our heart and our attitudes when we receive God's word. And that's what we learned last week. So I summed it up by saying all people will receive the word in various ways at various times in their lives. The hearing of the word will result in four general results as it finds place or tries to find place in a person's life. So that's what we've dealt with up to this point. Next slide, please. Now we'll get into the next portion of scriptures. And that is, I titled it three things. Yes, I am always hard to find titles because I, as I unfold my exposition, I find, ooh, this is a good title. No, this is an even better title. No. So I just put all three up. So the title of this message is The Weeds or God's Kingdom, No Place for Evil or Why Does God Allow Abuse and Hypocrisy to Happen Amongst Us? Hmm. Pretty interesting titles there, isn't it? So Matthew 13, 24 to 28 says this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like... Okay, again, he's teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. He, he, he hasn't used this term yet until this point. Okay, at this point he's going to say, now I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. So this is kind of the first official parable about the kingdom of heaven, which there are many. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Ready, disciples? You're all interested in the kingdom of heaven. You're a disciple. Let's get plugged in. What is the kingdom of heaven like? He's going to describe it to us. And here's the very first one. And just think, as we're unfolding this, as we're learning this, why did he choose this to be the first one? Interesting. Well, let's go into it. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So very similar to the last one, we have seeds being sowed by a farmer. But while everyone was sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Oh, so we have a twist. Before we just had seeds, but now we've got a good sower sowing good seed. But we also have an enemy sowing a different kind of seed. So obviously the crop we're looking for is wheat in the parable, but weeds is destructive. It's no good. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Now, I must say, this, this, this guy must have much experience with farming because I, I, weeds grow cr- like crazy. <laughs> how, you can't, how can you stop weeds? You know, they're, they're everywhere, aren't they? But regardless, how do these weeds come from? And, the, and, and, and the, the response was this An enemy did this. There is an enemy. Okay, the kingdom of heaven has an enemy. Okay? The enemy wants to rip us off. Okay? We need to realize that. This is, this is war. This is a battle. The kingdom of God has an enemy. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you will have an enemy too. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Now, this is interesting. Common sense. Hey, there's weeds. Let's go pull the weeds, right? But let's look at the response. First thing, like we did last time, when you see a parable like this, we want to look at we got, we got to draw a parallel what Jesus is actually talking about here. There's a meaning behind this parable, the common use of language. So we got to ask ourselves, what is the man who sowed good seed? So in your imagination, try to, for yourself, guess or understand who the man is who sowed good seeds. Now, in the last parable, they, he, he didn't disclose who the sower was. But in this parable, he will disclose who the sower is. 
Okay, the field. That's another thing. We see a field. Again, he's going to disclose to us what the field is. So what do you think the field is? Good seed. Okay, again, what is the good seed? Is in the weeds? What, what does that mean? What's he getting at here with weeds? And of course, the enemy. Now, I think for most of us, the enemy's probably did give away. We know who the enemy of God's kingdom is, right? But he will disclose it. He's, we, we were, we're, we, we, it's, Jesus is kind enough at this point to give us, to define these terms for us very clearly. So here, the common sense, which I think this is kind of what the, the servants here, and I think we feel like that way a lot of times, especially when we see abuse and hypocrisy within, in and amongst us. Now, I'm, we're, as, we, as we unfold this parable, it's not just talking about as we meet as, as church within a Christian circle. This talks about the world in general, Okay. But, but we can ask ourselves a question, why is there weeds amongst us? God, pull them out. That's, the disciples, that's, that's what these servants said. Can we just pull them out? If they're causing problems, just come on, shoot some lightning at them or something, you know? And that's what it says here. God, there's danger amongst us. Please, just pull it out. After all, you're God. You can do anything you want, right? You can send a bowl of lightning from the sky and take the weeds right out, you know? Right? Wrong. And here's a clencher. Next slide. No, he answered. You can't do that. Yes, I put a cheesy picture of a little of an old lady pulling weeds out. No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with it. Interesting. Let both grow together until the harvest. What's the harvest? He will tell us. But as disciples, let's think, what might the harvest be? At that time, I will tell the harvesters, what's the harvesters? Again, he'll tell us what those are as well. But as disciples, let's use our imagination. What might the harvesters be? First, collect the weeds and tie them in the bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So that kind of makes sense. The weeds, you collect them and you burn them. You don't need weeds. Weeds are useless. And you save the wheat in storage in the barns. So while God does not uproot the wheats in our lives, sometimes trials, tribulations, hassles, you know, and sometimes it even comes from so-called Christians. We expect it from those who are hostile against Christianity, but why amongst us do we have to deal with this sometimes as well? Because, I didn't put this in here, but we did, Jesus, one of the first things he said back in the Sermon on the Mount was there's going to be um, wolves dressed as in sheep's clothing. There's going to be those amongst us who are going to try to deceive us and lie to us and rip us off. Jesus warns. So, as Christians, we don't enter into kind of our discipleship, our Christian life, blind and deaf and, and ignorant and silly and goofy. We want to be wise, we want to be wise and spiritual, not just to follow any teacher or any leader, because Jesus made it very clear. There's going to be a lot of fakes and phonies and frauds, especially in the end times. This is in the end times. There will be plenty of antichrists who are against, they look like Christ, but they're against him. You got to be careful. So in and amongst even ourselves, we need to be very careful. While God does not uproot weeds, we may feel that he doesn't care about us. So we see, well, this guy's a fake. This guy's a phony. You know, what's up? God, why, why, what, what's up with this? And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of referring a little bit to those who have found themselves or have wiggled into leadership roles in churches. That's mostly what I'm talking about. People who, who do have and have caused harm amongst 
um, innocent people, people who may go to church and find themselves in a situation where they're being abused. And that happens all the time. I hear it all the time and it makes me sick to my stomach. Part of our ministry is helping reaching out to people who have been to churches that have, they have been abused by elders and pastors. It makes me sick to my stomach. And, I, and I've heard it said, why can't God just shoot them with lightning? Why can't God just remove them? But they still hang about. Reason why is because as we see here, the feeling is this, God's, if God really cares about us, he would deal with the problem. But that's a false assumption. In fact, he leaves the weeds alone for the time being so as to protect the growing wheat. How? It seems bizarre. He, he's wise. God, trust me, Jesus is a lot smarter than we are, okay? He knows what's up. <laughs> Let's just trust him. Because he, he loves you and me. He loves the wheat. He loves the disciples, okay? He loves us. Now, I'm going to illustrate this. Again, like I said before, part of my ministry is I, I come in contact with people who have been through hurt situations in churches, you know. Um, I've also have in contact with my life, people who are currently going to churches that I've known they're abusive, but I don't say anything to them. And it isn't because I'm playing games with them. It's because if they can grow, if they can learn, if they can be disciples, they, it's, it's their journey, it's their trials, it's their road. So I don't want to be a, a bad mouth. I don't want to bad mouth other people, Christians or not Christians, whether how I feel about them. I might think they're a wolf or not. It doesn't matter. I pray for the situation. I pray for deliverance. But the reality is each person has the road. And, and the thing is, if somebody's exposed, and, and the thing is, I, I think of like even, there was, another, I'm not gonna say any specifics, but there was an incident in America where a church minister of, it was mega churches, 10,000 people went to his church. And his church is, is very influential in the area. He fell because he was having an affair on his wife and enjoying the pornography on the computer and stuff like that. And he got caught and he fell. How many people, or devastated by that. See the thing? So, well, God will have grace that situation. Now, that person who's, who's abusing or playing the fool, they're not going to get away with it. But, but why is he allow the wheat to grow amongst the wheat or the weed to, serve, to, 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 to remain? Because of all the genuine people who are learning and growing and coming to know Christ. And it's a weird thing. It's a really weird thing. But that's just a part of it. And that's just a part of it. There's also the bigger picture, and we'll get to that in a second. So this is Jesus' first description of the kingdom of heaven, as we said, right? And he moves right away um, after this parable to tell two smaller parables about the growth of God's kingdom. And we'll deal with that next week, okay? I want to get into the explanation because of time's sake. So I'm going to miss out those other two parables, save them for next week, okay? So let's look at Jesus' explanation, because we've already opened this up. We've opened up... A pretty heavy-duty parable, a pretty heavy-duty lesson. Let's see how Jesus defines on you, okay? Defines these terms, terms revealed. He's going to interpret what he's talking about. So there's no mystery about what Jesus is talking about because he makes it very clear. This is what I'm talking about. So in Matthew 13, 36, so go down a wee bit past the other two parables, which we'll do with next week. It says this. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now, how many of those did you guys get right? 
Huh? There's going to be a test at the end of this, so I want, I want honest answers. But there it is. There's, there's, there's the terms defined. And I put them, I re-listed I re them just with some um, interpretive information. So first, A, number one, we have a man who sowed good seed. And that man is Jesus Christ. Jesus sows the seed in this illustration. He calls himself the son of man. Now, just to let you know, make it very clear, the son of man is Jesus' absolute favorite title. He calls himself the son of man. He refers to himself over 80 times in the Gospels. In, in the book of Matthew alone, we've got about 25, depending on your translation, but about 25, 26, 27 times in the book of Matthew alone, he refers to himself. So there's no doubt that Jesus is referring to himself here, okay? Now, again, in the last parable, the sower was not named. And the reason why I'm putting this, just to let you guys know, is that Parables are very challenging. When you go to seminary or Bible college, they always tell you that parables are one of the most difficult passages of scriptures to teach because there's no real consistency. And they're illustrations. You need to know the heart of the parable in order to put the pieces together. If you try to put the if you try to find the heart by putting the pieces together, it can be very, very difficult. In fact, it can be very it's almost impossible because there's very little consistency between parable and parable. Okay? The field is the world, cosmos. Okay? And that can refer to many different things, actually. The definition is huge. But, you know, like, for instance, the world, the universe, the way of the world, the government systems of the world, all kinds of things, the people of the world. But usually, it refers to just simply life on this planet. And the reason why I put that is I think that that's what he's saying here. So he's talking about the field, the world. He's just talking about life on this planet, life on earth. Okay? The field is not named in the first parable. Number three, we've got the good seed. The good seed, as he says, is people. In some translations, they'll say the word sons of the kingdom. Sons um, or the offspring of humanity or people in general. That's how it's defined. So it's not just men or boys or whatever. It's talking about people, okay? Belonging to the kingdom. So it's people who belong to the kingdom. That is the good seed. In the first parable, the seed, if you remember, was actually the word, or the message of the kingdom of heaven. The reason why I'm saying that again is because it takes some homework, it takes some skill to really look into these parables. We can't just transfer the information from one to the other. Because he, earlier he talked about the seed, remember? And it's the word going out. It was the message. He made it very clear. He repeated himself. This is the word. This is the word. The word was received. The word was not received, right? But here the seed, it's us. The good seed is the people of the kingdom of heaven. While the weeds are, again, sons or the offspring of humanity, so human people, or people in general, belonging to the evil one. Who's the evil one? The evil one is the enemy. Okay? Paneros, the evil one. The devil, the evil one. I love these descriptions of him. Full of labors, annoyances, hardships. The devil just wants to rip us off. Do you want to have a life full of labors, annoyances, and hardships? That's what Satan wants for you, but that's not what God wants for you. In a physical sense, diseased or blind, in an ethical sense, evil, wicked, or bad. So, so far we're getting a picture of what Jesus is talking about as he Jesus reveals these terms. There's two more terms to look at, if you can do the next slide, Gary. And we have the harvest now, terms. In Matthew 13, 39, it says the harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels, okay? So the harvest, the end of the age, 
Jesus is clearly not referring to the end of all things. So we think of like more of a pop contemporary culture. We think of the end of the age, the end of the world, and then everything's just gone and dissolved. There's no more. No, that's not what he's talking about because we see a process. We see something happening afterwards. He's talking about the end of a period of time or completion of time. This is probably the end of what we call the church age or the church era from Pentecost to the second return of Christ. Okay, and it's important to note that Christ's first coming, like I said earlier, was like a lamb. He came as a sacrifice for our sins. To pay the price of our sins, we can have a right standing, right relationship with God. But the second coming, he'll be like a lion, firmly establishing his kingdom and judgment of his enemy. Now, I've, I've used Revelation 5 before. Revelation is beautiful because it talks a lot about this, this information of, of Christ in his second return, his coming, his kingdom, the messianic kingdom that's to come. And so Revelation 5 paints a picture of, of the lion and the lamb. So on your own time, go home. I've had it up on the thing before several times, so I don't want to wear it out. So if you're not familiar or if you want to refresh yourself, Revelation 5, beautiful picture of the mighty Jesus Christ who's a lion and a lamb. You can see the sacrifice. The scars remain of the sacrifice, but yet he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's powerful as a king. He's mighty. And we're going to see some more of this as we unfold this. The harvesters, again, are angels, okay? Anglios, which means a messenger, envoy, one who sent an angel or a messenger from God. Again, when we think of angels, sometimes we think of little dolly figures like Cupid, you know, and flying around playing harps. No, God's angels are powerful. If you, look at the, if you get a good biblical perspective of angels, they're powerful. They're mighty creatures. They're mighty beings who serve God. Let's now, speaking of Revelation, take a look. Christ's second coming, what's like. Okay, his first coming, we have it in the Gospels. We know what it's like. He came, he served. He ministered in power. He ministered in might. Amazing things, but he was so meek. He, he was not demanding. He, he lived amongst the government that was established. He lived amongst the rules of the government that was established. He was so meek and gentle, and he submitted himself to the cross. But let's look at his second coming in Revelation chapter 19, if I could have the next slide. It says in Revelation 19, 11, 20. Now, bear in mind, as you read this, people in the world, they're going to mock this because it looks like some kind of crazy novel, you know? But the thing is, though, this is not a novel. This is a revelation from God given to John, you know, who suffered on the island of Patmos. This is God speaking to us. This is the word of God. And it says this in Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose writer is called Faithful and True. That's our Jesus, Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on them that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Of course, the stain of the sacrifice still remains. And his name is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. How do we know God? Through his word. Who's the word of God? Jesus Christ. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Do you see a contrast of the second coming of Christ compared to the first coming of Christ? Absolutely. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. He's not timid. He's not shy. It's a very different. And this is history. We'll call this prehistory. It's, 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 as far as we're concerned, it's happened, even though it hasn't happened yet. This is going to happen. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to the, all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty. All those people that we were afraid of, all the people that gives us nightmares and the news is, oh, look who's up to all these kings and generals and all these mighty people that rule the world in, in wickedness. They're going to be gathered together in the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small, and the wee ones, the peasants, us, you and I, all the people of the world. Bear in mind, these are also believed to be people who are in rebellion, <laughs> so I don't think it's going to be you and I, bear in mind. But then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So here is what I would describe as the kind of the climax, the story. Okay, here's Jesus coming out of heaven. Here's Satan's servants, the beasts and the, 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 you know, and the kings, the, the rebellious rulers of the world. And we'll all see the false prophet here in a second. These are all agents of Satan. And these are the enemy. And so we have this tension, like this final battle. And so the climax is here. Here's Jesus and his mighty army. Here's Satan and his mighty army. What's going to happen? So in a good novel, in a good story, we'd expect to see a lot of details of war and battle and bloodshed. But this is what I love, because this climax ends with amazing irony. But the beast was captured. No contest. Absolutely no contest. No description necessary. Because guess what? God is more powerful than our enemy. Or our enemy's agents. Right? It's no contest. But the beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet who has performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded, oh, how he's deluded so many people, those who have received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Next slide, please. Okay, I think the reason why I use that is obvious, that, that, that portion of scriptures. And it's going to become more and more obvious in the next five to ten minutes as we finish up this Bible study because Jesus is going to be talking about his return, the harvest, the end of the age, when Christ returns. Okay? And judgment's a big part of that. Harvesters, they pull in the weeds, throwing them in the fire. And we see judgment in these scriptures as well. Again, like I said, I don't like these Bible studies. Okay, I don't like these Bible studies. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they don't, they're not real. I don't like cancer, but it's real. I don't like poverty, but it's real. I don't like child abuse, but it's real. Do we ignore it because it's something we don't like? We have to deal with it. So Jesus says in exposition. So he's already given us a parable. He's defined the terms. Now he's going to expose it for us, which means he's going to preach it. He's going to get right down to the nitty gritty. So listen. He even says at the very end, if you have an ear, listen. Don't fall asleep. Wake up. Pay attention. Put this into your heart. Bury it within you. As, okay, Matthew 13, 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So again, you would expect 
in, in the common sense, you know, as the farmer comes and pulls the crop after it grows and matures, he would separate the weeds. You don't need the weeds. The weeds are useless. What do you do with them? I have a bunch of weeds here. You burn them up. That's what you do with them. It's common knowledge. And then you have the wheat. It's the stuff that you want, the crop. You protect it. You put it in a safe place. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Now, you, you have, might have mixed feelings about this. You might say, that's horrible for those who cause sin and do evil. But I say amen because I'm sick of having to deal with sin. I'm sick of having to deal with evil. I'm sick of it myself. Just as, as sick of other people. I can't wait for Jesus to do this in his perfect established kingdom in the future. I, I can't wait for all that causes sin to be burnt or wiped out. I can't wait. Sin is nothing but cancer. It's nothing but trouble. I'm looking forward to this. So it, it is mixed feelings. Yeah, absolutely. They'll be thrown or they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, I hate fire and brimstone messages. <laughs> I hate them. However, our feeling about reality doesn't change the facts. This is a real tragedy. Ignoring it will make it go away. Consider this. What is the real problem? What is the real problem with life in the world today? What's, what, what is the problem? It's sin and evil, right? That's what corrupts the perfect good life that God has given to us as human beings. When he created the heavens and the earth and he created us, he expected and he wanted good things to happen. He didn't want to torture people because it's fun for him. He wants to bless people. He wanted to give us a good experience, a good life. But it's sin and evil that rips us off. It needs to go away. It needs to be dealt with. If God's kingdom is perfect and good, then the problem will need to be dealt with. Not just ignored, or pretending that it doesn't exist. Then the righteous will shine in the kingdom of their father. Now we finally got a bit of light on the other tunnel. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Here's the bottom line, guys. God really and truly wants humankind to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's what God wants. He wants us to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is amazing. This is fantastic. This is praiseworthy. The only way that that's possible is if God cleans up. With, he, he has to execute judgment. The offer is there. And here's the thing that really boggles the mind. The offer is there for every single person. So there's no trick. There's no deceit. It's straightforward. The offer is there for every single person who will repent. Stubbornness will keep us from repenting. We need to repent. It's a no-brainer. You want to shine, you need to submit to God. Not sin. Sin and evil will be dealt with. So we can truly and unhinderedly, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I use it anyways, and unhinderedly shine. Next slide, please. This is our last slide. Again, this is going to put a finish to this very difficult Bible study. Very difficult Bible study. It's, we needed to be challenged by this. We need to make some real choices for our lives. And this is going to bring it home. And I apologize. But we've got to deal with these topics as they come in the scriptures. Okay? And so that's why I put 
This might be, make me unpopular, but it needs to be said. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says this, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Didn't we already read that in Revelation? The Bible is very consistent. It connects one passage to the other. So all this is looking forward to this time where Jesus is revealed in heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So there's seven undisputable facts about this passage that we have to reconcile. We need to get this into our minds. And this should influence our lives, our our faith, our trust in God, and even our evangelism. Because the world, if if we pretend like there's no problem, we pretend that the world's all hokey-cokey and we're all fine, the good man and up in heaven will be cool with whatever we do, that's delusion. Here's seven undisputable facts that we see in the scriptures that we just read here. God is just. He is right. And he only does what is right. Number two, he gives relief through his righteous judgment. He gives relief through his righteous judgment. Three, this will happen at Christ's second coming. Okay? Four, those who are judged will be judged according or rightly and according to their disobedience and outright rejection of the gospel. Okay? So that's the judgment criteria. It's, it's, it's totally right. There's no deceit, no guile. And it's totally according to what they've decided, i.e. their disobedience and their outright rejection of the gospel. Number five, sorry, there's no relief from such condemnation. That breaks my heart. I would like to agree with my Catholic friends and say, well, you can work it out in the afterlife. I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. Sorry, there is no purgatory. Number six, God's people are holy. Jesus will be glorified amongst his people. Those who believe get to marvel at the glory of his might. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? He wants to bless us. He's got a judge as well. And then number seven, this includes you. If you do, this includes you, it includes me. If we do believe in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now again, what does that mean? That's what he says. This includes you. Because you believe in our testimony to you. The testimony is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's a belief. It's a trust. It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a, it's resting your whole life upon. So that's between you and God. I can't analyze that. In fact, the Bible says that no man can, can, can judge the eternal destiny of a, of a person, basically. I cannot tell you if you're right with God or not. You, I you don't know if I'm right with God or not. <laughs> That's for me and God. It's for you and God. Do you believe? Do you, have you rested your whole life upon him and his ways and his kingdom? So today, I guess, would make sense to have an invitation. If, you, if some of these things that we spoke about today scares the daylights out of you, that's a good thing. Embrace it. Be scared, be changed. If some of these things here are inspirational to you, where you're like, I want to shine 
before my God and, you know, in the afterlife in his kingdom. I want to be blessed in these ways. I want to see Christ return. I don't want to be afraid of Christ's return. I want to embrace Christ's return. I want to be there to celebrate, to see his glory. Oh, I want to, if you're inspired, if you want to do that, and you're, but you're not sure, then here now is a chance. Here now is a time to give your heart and give your life to God. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't chance it. Do it now. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to Jesus Christ. I mean, I like to study philosophy and logic. And when you see something, a case like this, it's just, there's, there's, what else are you going to live for? <laughs> what else are you going to do? This is clear-cut justification. You must follow Jesus. There's no other way. Any other way is just pure delusion. 